Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Greetings, artists and art lovers. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the rise of the creative class. I am your host, Sourdough, and today I am joined by Michael Moore. And uh, Michael is one of these people that I respect and admire because, you know, they're at their core an artist, at their core a creative who creates and uh, designs and fabricates amazing works of art as a side hustle um, while they're, you know, working a full-time job. Michael is a um, hardworking guy. Uh, we kind of grew up in the same uh, neighborhood back in the Midwest uh, near Chicago on the south end of Lake Michigan. And we have some mutual friends who connected us via Facebook a while back. Uh, Michael, I saw one of Michael's artworks on Facebook. And I said, I want that. Uh, how much? I must have it. <laughs> Sell it to me. And he said, sorry, it's sold. And I was like, Dumb. but uh, I want to welcome. He's going to make me one though. He, he promised. So he, he can, that's the beautiful thing about being an artist because you can, you can, you know, make more uh, arts because that's what artists do. But uh, without further ado, I want to welcome via Skype, the one and only Michael Moore. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Scott. Thank you. So great to have you on our uh, little podcast here, Not Real Art. I'm grateful for our mutual friend, Chris Sulser. Uh, shout out to Chris for uh, putting us together here today. Hey, Chris. Thank you, man. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Now, how do you and Chris know each other? Because you guys are both musicians. Were you gigging together? Is that how you guys initially connected? We've played uh, together just a couple little jams here and there where I'd go up and play with them. But uh, I've known him for, geez, like, 20 years and him being a guitar player we always just mesh and talk and uh every time i talk to him it's it's always laughter i see him and i just start smiling because i know it's going to be something funny well exactly and, and uh, chris is just one of those uh you know, he, Chris is a good case for cloning. You know, it's like people get excited, get people get up in arms about the dangers of cloning. And then you meet a guy like Chris and you're like, wait, no, we need more of him. Let's clone this guy. But what I so appreciate about and I've known Chris, you know, I think shit. I think we met in initially in 84, 85 in band. Uh, I played alto. He was a drummer. He was a percussionist. And uh, we played in jazz band together in high school. And but Chris was just one of those guys from day one. He was an artist, a multidisciplinary guy, a lot of tools and techniques in his toolbox. And so it was no surprise to me that he introduced us because you are also one of those 
creative polymaths because well sure you have a day job that pays the bills you are a probably consider yourself first and foremost a musician and then you have uh, this uh, studio in your garage where you make artworks uh, out of kind of found objects or vintage uh, objects that have a kind of an industrial or and or military uh, kind of aesthetic that I've seen. And um, so do I have that right? I mean, do you consider yeah. yourself an artist? Yeah, definitely. It's a really weird thing that I even do this now because to describe it, I started playing guitar when I was nine or 10. So I'm 52 now, so I've played for a long time, and I'm not really in a band that plays out any longer. So somehow, this is completely unplanned. I, it was probably over a year ago that I had a thing called a Nixie clock, and it's these Ukrainian tubes that light up. They're numerical, and I just had this little clock, and I had an old beat-up wooden box, and I thought, hey, I'm going to put that that in that box. And then I had another old clock that was broken. So I took the gears out, stuck all that on the box. And then I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, my wife saw it. And then somehow with, I didn't even think about it. I just started making something else. Within a week, there were like two or three things just sitting there. And then my wife's like, well, where are you going to put those? And then I thought, this maybe I should share them with people. Maybe they'd want them, you know. And that's what I'm getting at is it was so unplanned. Yes. But as, I've always had this artistic goal as a musician that all I wanted was to play maybe a solo or a guest guitar part on a song that was successful. And no one even know it's me. I don't want money for it, recognition at all, but just to people like the song and make them feel good. And I, I think that would leave a little mark on the earth. Now, these things that I'm making are doing that immediately. I mean, people buy them, they take them home and they're like little kids. It's like Willy Wonka world. They're people are laughing and what is that? What does it do? You know, and a hundred years from now, they're going to be sitting there and someone's going to go, what, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> so this is going in a house. It's going to be here when I'm gone or anywhere. And you know, that's to me, I am leaving a mark now without even thinking about how it happens. It's, it's well, awesome. You know. Yeah. Well, there is a certain whimsy uh, to your artworks. I mean, you know, when I, they sort of have that chameleon uh, vibe and that you sort of see them and you're like, wait a minute. I, oh, oh, yeah, no, I, I think I know what that is. And then you look closely or more closely and you realize, well, wait a minute. No, that's not exact. That's not at all what I what I thought it was. Or it's this other kind of hybrid uh, design that is composited of different elements. And there's this kind of uh, whimsy to it. And, and sort of that's quite delightful and uh, and surprising. That's really it. I, I I've never done an art opening. And there was a coffee shop in Valpo. They have a different artist there every month. So it was a year ago. I saw a piece of art I wanted there. So I was on my phone trying to contact that person. And the people that have the coffee shop saw one of my gadgets. Oh, hey, you know, looking at my phone going, oh, my God, what is that? That's incredible. That's art. You should bring those here. You should have an art opening. You should sell them. And I'm like, I've never done anything like that. So it was when I did that, it was exciting and weird and crazy and you know it's different than playing music and taking a break and saying hi to people these people showed up and they were there was an older lady that just literally looked at everything and she goes 
well, what do they do? What do they do? Well, they're kind of, they're lamps for sure. They light up and they make noise. They, I can have audio play on them. Pieces of them turn by motor. And it's kind of your imagination. You know, I name every piece, but I've called one like an elixir that had this old fire extinguisher. And in my mind, it would drain into the old box and it would build up pressure and come out another tube and out a fountain and there was a gauge there and that's and I put a little shot glass under it like you could drink this McMeans elixir machine and when someone bought the first thing the first thing that sold that was such a it was such a cool feeling I'm like I can't believe it I don't care if I sell another one ever you know the first right. it was just it's sort of like, you know, you are birthing these children and people are adopting your kids, you know, and bringing yeah. them into their homes and raising them for you or, to, or at least looking after them. You know, there's a couple of pieces. I'll send you the picture of this clock. You have to. This clock was six foot tall. It was in resale shop. It was $70. It looked, you know, it was weirdly shaped, but it was like a gross yellow with little flowers all over it and everything. And I brought it home painted it black, started working on it. And I worked on that thing for a few days. One morning I came out, it was six or seven in the morning. I didn't put my shoes on even. I just went in the garage, started working. You know, I think I drank water that day. I didn't even eat. <laughs> just in I the zone. Done, I know when I, when I got done with that thing, though, I really was attached to it. And when I sold it, I, it, it, it wasn't heartbreaking, but I really, it was a weird kind of, I felt a little remorseful that it was gone because I really liked it a lot. So sometimes there's a couple of pieces that you make and you, you don't even want to get rid of them, you know? But still, yeah, it's, it's just too special. No, I totally get that. How many artworks do you think you've, you've fabricated since you started working in your studio? I would have to say probably 25 to 30. It's weird that uh, I'll I'll make one and sometime I'll take it to that coffee shop for it to be sold or I'll just post it. But somehow every one that I make ends up somewhere gone. Yeah, quickly. There's only a couple here and that's it. Right, you know, right. One or two so you have no see. inventory. Like literally you make them, they sell on yeah. to the next. Wow, what yeah. a, you're a lucky artist. A lot of artists are sitting on uh, inventory that they uh, wish would sell, you know. I do have something funny I can tell you because you can't make this shit up. <laughs> I, I bought some old syringes from this place called Spill the Milk. Bought old syringes. They were glass, like German, and one said tuberculosis, you know, in a, in a box. Wow. Yeah. And so I took an old pharmacy box, put a light on it, a gauge, some wiring, a on-off switch, and I decided to put this syringe on it. And so I wired the syringe down. It was really tight. And I took the needle off and put a basketball needle on there. So no one would get poked, of course. But yes. when I took the plunger out, I was trying to put it back in there. And I'm just going. You know, I'm in the zone. And so, I, oh, it won't go in there. So I literally licked the plunger and went to back in there. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I said, what the, what did you just do, dude? You licked a <laughs> A tuberculosis <laughs> plunger. And next yeah, day, tuberculosis. Would you do that? For $1,000, you wouldn't do it. No. How do you explain that? Uh, yeah, I got tuberculosis because I licked that. <laughs> so I, I immediately, you know, I started looking up on my phone 
And it says that, you know, the germs only last like six months or something. And <laughs> I'm sure it was clean and everything, but that's just, it was a goodie. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what, what happens when you're in the zone creating. Sometimes we jump uh, before we look, we leap before we look. Well, I'm glad you survived that. That's called occupational hazard. <laughs> You know, what, what, would, what would your HR department uh, say about that? I know, uh, you, Mr. you fill out the form and it usually <laughs> says where I work, it says, what was an employee doing at the time of accident? That's what, there's a spot on a form for that. So, <laughs> yeah. so what do you do, you know, to keep the lights on? Because I know you have a full-time gig. I thought I saw the name of the company that you're working for, but tell me what you do for a living in terms of keeping the pills on. What's your full-time gig? It's definitely a hardcore job. As soon as I tell you, you'll know. It's uh, I work in the Coke ovens of the steel mill. Arsenal, ah, yes. Steel Burns Harbor, and I work. Yep. I work in the Coke plant there. Yep. And that's a that is a rough and tumble place. It, the first time I went up there, I said, "There's no way I'm working here." This, and sure enough, it's 23 years later, and I'm still at the Coke ovens. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, for those of us who grew up uh, in the uh, region, uh, as uh, we called it, uh, I was—I personally was born in Gary, Indiana, grew up in Portage, Indiana. I know you grew up primarily in Valparaiso, Indiana, and graduated, uh, I think, from Valparaiso High School. But, you know, for those of us who grew up in that region, um, the economy is, and for our listeners' sake who may not know that, know this, the economy is rooted in uh, industry and specifically the, the steel making industry. And so many of our fathers, grandfathers, uncles, cousins, great grandfathers worked in those uh, steel mills. And when I was growing up as a kid, I remember going on field trips to the steel mills to watch how steel gets made. And for our listeners who have never been in a steel mill to watch how the steel uh, gets made that fabricates our cars and our products in so many of the uh, daily uh, items that we use, uh, it's quite eye-opening to see that process uh, because it is, it's dangerous, it's hot, it's dirty, and, uh, but it's, it's remarkable as well. And, uh, the, the, and you're in the belly of the beast at the Coke oven. Are you, is there a cussing on this podcast? Yeah, fuck yeah, there's cussing. All right, because I, my nickname for that Coke oven is the devil's asshole. <laughs> I, okay. that's what i called it because i yeah. mean it's 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 hotter than you can even fathom i i would invite anyone just to walk up there they don't have to do anything just walk with me down the on the top of that oven one time and you get to the end of it and you're going to be going holy shit i can't breathe I, you know i've seen guys walking and their clothes just start burning right just literally just catch on fire i mean yeah. i had a, i've had a couple of times there two times where I thought I might be dead, you know, two wow. times. And I don't talk to my family about it, you know, cause they'll, they'll worry and everything, but yeah, it's, it's very loud. It's very hot, dirty, yes, loud. But, yes. Yes. But I, I worked in production like 17 years. I ran all the machines there, but now I'm what is called a heater, a heater. And we just control the gas on the oven, you know, how much of it, the mixture of it, the temperatures of it, and now I actually like my job. It's hard to believe I can even say that because for 17 years, I really didn't like it. And that takes a, a, a weird kind of toll on you. But my dad worked in the mill for 38 years also. He yes. 
So yeah, my dad was at uh, my dad was at U.S. Steel for 35 years, and uh, my grandfather was at Bethlehem. No, no, my grand my paternal grandfather was at Midwest Steel. Yeah. It was called then, and then we had dear friends that were at Bethlehem. Uh, steel. So it is core to the economy of, of where we're from, the steel industry. So many of my dear friends and people that I know work there. And, you know, and, and so many of these people also have a passion outside of their work. For some For some folks, it's sports, you know, some folks, it's music, you know, some folks, it's art. And for some folks, it's all the above and then some. I know some fantastic dart players <laughs> in uh, Portage, Indiana. Say nothing of pool and foosball and all the other uh, great, uh, fun pastimes that we uh, participate in while we're knocking down some Budweiser's and shots at the uh, local uh, pub there, dive bar. But uh, so, yes. Yeah, so in your case, right. So you you're you're working in this job that for 17 years you've hated. And your therapy, if you will, it was, I'm guessing, your music and your art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I have, it's, I have so many things that I do outside of there. There's just not enough hours in the day. You know, I, I do hunt, uh, target shoot. I, I like to ride my bike and motorcycle. I write and record. I do have a studio in the basement, so I, I do write and record here a lot. And I pick up the acoustic guitar every day and then now I'm doing the gadgets and, some people are like, how do you have time to do that? But we work four days and then we have four days off. So you're literally off like half the year. And you you add that up with your vacation days and everything. It's it's really too good to be true that we're paid so well. Our insurance is incredible. I, I never take it for granted. You know, I really, I think I'm blessed to be there. So, you know, I'm definitely thankful for it. I, I work with some, I work with some people that, Oddly, that place becomes their entire existence. That they have nothing outside of there. Yes, I, I worked. Like I had forty-two years, wouldn't leave. He's seven years old, and he's like, "Oh, I go to the movies by myself sometimes." And I said, "Travel? No, I don't go anywhere. I don't go." I said, "Get in your car, drive somewhere. If you don't like it, go back." But that that guy retired and. His health went, you know, you hear that a lot. A guy retires from the mill and then their health goes bad like a year later. So, you know, I think it's everybody needs to have a lot to do outside of there. Anyone. I, well, I but feel like it, that's being alive, you know. Well, that's true. And but we're talking almost about two different people because in your friend's case, you're talking about, you know, here's a guy who you know, he wasn't he didn't have a compulsion or an obsession uh, or doesn't sound like he had something that he had to do. Artists have to create. I mean, artists can't help themselves but to create. This is their calling, right? This is what they were born to do. Yeah. And you almost have to you have to get it. I talked I've talked to some artists who say I've just got to get it out of my system otherwise I'll I'll smother, you know, they'll, <laughs> yeah. you know, they'll, they'll choke. And yeah. um and in your so in your case, right? I mean, you've played guitar your whole life. Uh, art and art and creativity uh, has always been a part of your life on some level. Now you're exploring this new aspect of your uh, expression, your self-expression. And, uh, you know, I think that's an incredible thing because, of course, it's about quality of life. I mean, you know, in our culture, there's so much rhetoric and so much bullshit around financial success and, and, and you know, what success is or, or what kind of materialism or kind of car we're supposed to drive or kind of house we're supposed to live in. When, in fact, really, uh, in my view, 
you know, I know a lot of wealthy people who are quite miserable. You know, it is it is about being happy on the inside and quality, having a quality of life. And, you know, and I think to the extent and, and it's different for everybody, but I know for artists and for people who are creative, you know, having a creative outlet is key to having a quality of life and having um, happiness and joy in their life, you know, because, you know, it's just something we, we have to do. Yeah. It, it And you had said to me earlier at one time, feed the soul. And that's really what it is. I've, we'll play out. I have a, a band that was called Digital Hair that was, uh, oh my God, I remember yeah. Digital Hair. You were in Digital Hair. That's how yeah. I know you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So Chad, so you and yeah, Chad are Chad, boys. Chad's my soulmate. Yeah. Oh my God. Shout out to Chad, by the way. That's, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't even know you would know that. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Hair. Digital Hair. Yeah. I saw you guys play. That's awesome. Are you Did fucking kidding me? Like that what was yeah. like the late 80s or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Digital hair, by the way, the name digital hair in 1986, 87, of course, was so, you know, state-of-the-art futuristic, cutting edge cool. The thought I of digital hair. Weirdly, I didn't want to like the name. I got outvoted <laughs> on it. Because I'll say, wait, what band are you in? Digital hair, and you always hear what? You got to say it again. Digital hair. What the hell is that? Oh, my I God. Did, I, I did get the hair down to my ass at one time, for real. You know, your guy <laughs> saying, I had hair down to my ass. I really did. When I started at the Coke Ovens, I had it in a big, long ponytail with about 20 wraps on it. And they called me ponytail for like the first three years. Of course they, said, they That did. thing's going to get burned off your head. Of course it is. Yes. Yeah. No, but yeah, Chad and... I we're soulmates. I mean, he's he's like a brother to me. We've known each other since the middle of high school. We started playing together. So, yeah, I mean, it, to be clear about something, you know, Chad and I have I mean, we met God, I don't even know. It had to be late 80s. But in our interactions, we're few and far between. But he's one of those people that you just you just like, you know, from the yeah. get go. And yeah. he's just a real deal. He's, he's he's a heartfelt guy, sincere, smart, funny you know, obviously talented and, uh, he's just, you, you know, we, it's not even, I'm shit. I, I mean, I think we were texting on Facebook not too long ago, but I haven't talked to him in years. haven't seen him in years, but you know, in, in thinking back, uh, you know, always respected and admired the hell out of him. you know, and I look forward yeah. to, to connecting again someday. We should, you know, maybe we should do a three-way podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm, I'm up for it. And yes, I said three-way. Yeah, I know. I didn't ask, say anything. Whatever <laughs> listener out there, he just said two, three-way. You quickly said podcast, though, so no one <laughs> had saved, a chance. I saved it. it, yeah. I'm perverted, but just not in that way. Well, that's cool. So, it was, right. So, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, so no, you and Chad no. go back. You're in digital hair. You had this band. Yeah, and we'll play out like a few times a year. Or there'll be the Craw Puppies. We started the band called the Craw Puppies when it was just Chad and I on the acoustic guitar. Now, everyone around here knows who the Craw Puppies are. But um, what I was going to say is that just those two or three times a year that we play out, like the drummer lives in Texas now, the keyboard players in Florida, the bass player is in Indianapolis. So we'll play in Indy. And last year we went to Texas and played. And this year we played in Florida. And when I do that, it's such a, any musician will know, but when you're up there playing and all those people out there, it's like a sea of heads and faces and, and they're all there to have fun. They're smiling, they're, they're laughing, they're dancing. I've seen them cry. I've cried while I was playing a couple of times. It's just like unbelievably, it's just cool as hell. And 
what I'm getting at is we do a gig like that and I can feed off that as I call it for months. I can think about how, how it felt, how cool it was. And it's just, you can't buy that. That's in your soul. It's just, it's amazing. So musically, yeah, it's more emotional and um, soulful, but you know, making these pieces and stuff that this is a different kind of medium. And I, like I said, I never planned it, but it's a total new way for me to express myself. And, you know, that, I guess that'll be my snacks in between for my soul, you know, in between playing out recording. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, there, there is a soulfulness to these artworks of yours that I've seen on Facebook. And, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have used that word that day, but I think that that's, I tend to react to artworks that in my, that, that move me and have, and as I think back on how I, uh, how things resonate with me and, and how I have emotional connections to things that more times than not, those things have a soulfulness, you know, to them. And that soulfulness, I guess, could come from any number of ways and any number of things, but there is a uh, definitely a hand a handcraftedness to them. There's a, obviously very much a, a human sort of humanity to anything that has soulful that is soulful. And uh, anyway, uh, you know th- that's that's why I really you know appreciated you know the artworks and the pieces that I saw of yours because I, I felt like there was a real humanity to them and a, and a real soulfulness to them. Well, I know I'm off now until Monday, so I might start building your light immediately. <laughs> yes, get on that. Get on that right now. As a matter of fact, absolutely. Matter of fact, hang up right now yeah. and get, go, get we'll get to work. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. Now that's great, man. So, to talk about what inspires you. I mean, you mentioned being in a resale shop where you saw this clock and you, you know, had a funky shape, but it was it was kind of ugly, and so you bought it and you've painted it and stuff. Obviously, you saw this clock. You were inspired by it. You know, where do you find your inspiration? How do you, you know, what motivates you? Is there a, is there a particular rigor around like, okay, I have a day off. I'm going to go look for inspiration and you just start treasure hunting and going out into the world that way. Or is it that, you know, you're at work one day working in the, you know, near Satan's asshole and, (laughs) and you get inspired by one of his farts, you know, I I don't know. Talk to me about this. Yeah. When you think it's going to blow up, you get inspired to run it. Even yesterday, I I took my son to uh, get ice cream. Then we saw this antique mall. How old's your son? He's 12. He's 12. uh, 12 Declan is his name. Declan. Shout out Declan. Yeah. There's Declan and Logan is 15. And so I started late, but. uh, Me too. I have, I have two. I, I got you beat my friend. I've got two under six. I've got a daughter who's six and a half. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, she'll be seven. So two under seven, but a daughter who's six and a half and a son who is uh, two. So, yeah. So I'm going to need, you're going to have to help me because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm screwed. But anyway, uh, Logan and, uh, and, 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 um, Declan, sorry, what, Declan's Declan. a hard name to remember. I think Elvis Costello's real name is Declan, possibly. It's, it's, the Irish. yeah, it's the Irish influence thing, but, uh, we went in that antique mall and, you know, I looked at all kinds of stuff, walked around and that place is huge. And the one thing I saw was this rusted box and it had a gauge on the front of it, but it was like a little old oven type thing because there was a tray you pull out that you would put 
either some sort of heat source in there. I don't know if it was coals and you could bake something in it. So I looked at it and it was only $18 and I'm like, this thing could be anything, you know, but when it's all rusty and beat up like that, then I know I would bring it back here and put nothing. It has to be old rusty things that go on it. Like I would never put a brand new shiny screw in something like that. And I'd right. sit there and stare at it, you know, and that's what I do. I stare at them and think, what should go on there next? How's this look? It's, I never really keep track of the amount of time that I spend on them either. But um, that was an inspiration to see that. And, and it's hard to say, you know, I, I, it's the piece in itself. I, people ask me where I get things and I'll go to a junkyard or I've gone in some old buildings, uh, buildings I probably shouldn't even be walking inside of. Uh, I got, I found some gauges that said more products on them. My name. Oh, you got to have those. Yeah. 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 But the building they were in, I was by myself. It was pitch black and I started to get those out of there. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here, man. Cause if, if, it, if I fall, yeah, the rubble here, would bury yeah, you. No yeah. one's going to have, what happened know? to Michael? Uh, yeah. yeah. He disappeared yeah. under that rubble. That's, yeah. Maybe the only thing left would be that gauge. That yeah. says no more on it. Yeah, I felt a, a weird thing in there. I said, I'm getting out of here. So, but yeah, the inspiration is kind of a, a hard thing to put into words, you know? Isn't it? I mean, because the muses come and go, man. I mean, and they, you don't know when they're going to hit you. I ask because, you know, I'm just curious. Uh, everybody's a little different. You know, I know I could never predict where my inspiration comes from. I mean, I mean in my Apple iPhone, uh, you know, in the notes uh, app, I think I have over 2000 notes because, of course, I get inspiration and I make a note and then I, you know, never do anything with it, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. maybe, you know, nine yeah. times out of 10. But, you know, know, they just stack up and uh, you, you know, you, you just don't know where these things come from. I've never asked someone that's another uh, an artist or anyone, because what I'm getting at inspiration wise is my mind, you know, everybody's different. I think creative people, I know a lot of them and you know them. And a lot of times people say they're crazy or they're strange or they're different, but that's, that's what we are. We think differently. We see things differently. I can't imagine just hearing a song and going, Oh yeah, that's good. No, I got to hear every little note of it. Every nuance, every, you know, I can find the mistakes. I can find places where they punch vocals and guitars in and stuff. But this is what I'm getting at is, I've sometimes when I can't fall asleep, I would like to ask another artist this if they've ever been this way or feel this way. Can't fall asleep because you're thinking of everything. I've tried the so hum mantra and it works, but sometimes I'll literally just say, okay, go. And I'll let my brain go. And I visualize just anything you could possibly even think of, you know, just starts going like a carousel. It's like, I'll picture the end of a rusted screw, then a basketball, then blade of grass comes, then uh, smoke, then, you know, all this stuff. And all of a sudden I fall asleep because I'm not thinking about anything in particular directly. But all these things are just popping in my head. Sounds like you're having an LSD flashback. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like the, <laughs> the tail starts wagging the dog yes. right then and it's over. But I want to know. I just I wonder if there's other artists that have that. You know, I think so. It sounds, I know it sounds strange, you know. No, but no. I mean, it, 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 it's unknown. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you don't know where this stuff comes from. And when you're inspired, you're in, you're energized. It's hard to sleep if you're energized. 
and you have to kind of lean into it sometimes, you know, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and hopefully, you know, we're able to capture those ideas and that inspiration and, and do something with it. I was listening to someone talk the other day, uh, the author, forgetting his name right now, but he wrote a kind of best-selling book called Steal Like an Artist. And he was saying, you know, sort of laughing about how, you know, if he's inspired, he writes a note, but he doesn't, you don't, you know, take it that note to the next level within 24 hours, like, you know, unpack that note, write it in his journal, you know, really kind of capture the inspiration, you know, he'll, he'll find the note days or weeks later and look at it and go like, I, like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like, like oh yeah, I know this was brilliant when I thought of it, but I can't even remember it now. You know, that's amazing. It's so far gone that he doesn't even have a connection to it anymore. Well, and that it is so fleeting, right? I mean, yeah. and, 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 um, I, I, it's funny. I have, you know, out of those 2000 notes on my phone, I, I know, you know, a good third of them. If I looked at them, I'd be like, what the hell was I thinking? What what does uh, rusty dog hair mean? You know, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. But at the time, rusty I dog hair was like a great idea for, you know, I don't know, a, a, a children's book or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Do you think of yourself as an artist? Like, really? Like when people, like when people ask you, Michael, you know, uh, you know, who are you? What do you do? Uh, do you, do you describe yourself as an artist, musician? How do you, how, how do you think of yourself? Just from being a musician for so long, it's usually a musician or guitarist, oh, sure. you know, they, what do you play? And they, mm-hmm. they, a lot, and a lot of people say, what style do you play? And my, the answer to that is any style. And because music's been that way for me, it's, I can, get a pick up the electric guitar one day and I'll start everything's creative. Everything is new. The first half hour, you know, you start playing just whatever comes to my head out of my hands and it could sound like uh, rage against the machine or tool. And yeah. then the next thing it sounds like uh, Peter Frampton or the U2 or the, the cure or the cult, you know, it's like new wave. There's rock, whatever style I play or folk guitar like the band Wilco, I love them a lot. So that that well, isn't isn't you know. Jeff Tweedy one of your uh, collectors? Yeah, it, I took a guitar there once, and he signed the head of it, and I got to go to their loft, and that place was sensory overload. I mean, that's where they do all the, the rehearsing, the recording sure. of all these songs sure. that I love. So when I was in there, I was shitting myself. I mean. I, I would have liked to have just sat down in a chair and just stared at the wall for a half hour because I was about to explode, you know? And so I made... Sounds like you were very inspired. Oh, yeah. There, there was a... But I made this really big old radio, and I'll send you a picture of it. I put a pre-recorded five minutes of Orson Welles. He did a broadcast in like 1938, War of the Worlds, that freaked a bunch of people out. Are you familiar with that, maybe? It was like... Oh, yeah. It was in 38, so I put that on that. If you push the button, it starts playing that recording. And it had like a, you know, bicycle light on a bunch of really weird things. And I decided I wanted to give that to them. And I named it Orson. And every one of these things that I I make, I do draw a blueprint, like a fake blueprint of it. Oh, very cool. Like people take a picture with the print on their wall. Nice. There's always a tag, name tag. So I went there and I said, hey, I want to give this to them. So I got to go in the loft again, of course. (laughs) So 
Ah, you know, I like set that smart. By the way, that's very George Costanza of you. you yeah, know, yeah. That you know, I'm just going to leave something behind. In this case, you're bringing something. I love it. It's great. Yeah, I felt like they couldn't say no. You know, yeah, well, this guy's right. giving us something, and he, and Jeff Tweedy wasn't there. So you know, I set set it down, and the the guy that works there, his name is Mark. He's incredible. He takes care of the place, and he was laughing, amazed at it. So I left. I said, just send me a picture of him with it or sometime, you know, yeah. like 15 minutes later, the picture pops up on my phone and I'm like, holy shit, there he is. It's Jeff Tweedy. And he's holding my thing. And it was like Santa Claus came, you know, like I was there. He wasn't there. I left, but there he was. And so I had this picture, a couple of pictures of Jeff with that piece of art. And I've never put it on Facebook or anything because they don't really want you to take pictures of the inside yeah. of the office. And I feel like I should have to ask permission because sure. I don't want it to look like he's uh, endorsing. But uh, I said, what did he say about it? And uh, the guy, Mark Greenberg's his name was like, oh, he busted up. He said, what the hell is this? And he turned it on. I was laughing. And it's still in their loft. And Mark says he wants that uh, Jeff wants to take it home and have it in his house. So for me to have that, in his hands and to go yes, in his house. Yes. That's just insane. I mean, that's goosebump, goosebump city for that one. Well, that's the ultimate sign of, of, of approval, isn't it? And validation and the highest praise, right? When somebody says, no, I want that in my home. Yeah. It, I idolized him, you know, I, and that group, I think they're amazing. And so for him to see that and, and then get him busted up and laughing and, and then to want that, that's like, it's priceless for sure. Very cool. Well, congratulations on that. That's a really cool story. I mean, how badass is Wilco, right? I mean, come on. They're amazing. I mean, yeah, that's that's a great man without a doubt. And, and, and that's what people will say, you know, that's what I mean by who do you listen to? Who do you sound like? Um, one thing I was going to mention that I didn't is, and you've probably heard this before, but as a musician, people ask me, am, am I an artist? Yes, I am. The thing that I think about is knowing other like guitarist well this guy plays just like eddie van halen he can play just like him you know and, and all the people that can do that and their book smart musically technically but they can't i ask you know well what do they make what do they write you know when i see someone has a hit song i'll look it up who wrote it and it's everybody's name there's like seven people on there not even the person that's saying it so in my mind i don't mean to sound negative but that's not an artist to me that's yeah. somebody that here you go. Sing this. Okay. Have a nice day. Here's your money. You know, it's about being able to create something, you know, you know, there's people that can play yep. amazing, but they can't, they can't really think anything up, you know, nothing. It's just paint by numbers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, I mean, you've probably heard that before, but. No, it's, it, it is interesting, right? Cause you have, you know, people who are incredibly competent, right? uh technically or they can they can play they can read music they can play music you know they uh, have obviously great artistic talent but when it comes to create developing imagining developing producing manifesting something original and you know sure nothing new under the sun and everything's appropriated and everything's sort of inspired by something else and okay sure i get that originality is a debatable concept but the point is is that some people just have a harder time and or and or simply cannot you know produce something on their own that is entirely of their own imagination but they're 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 on this earth to maybe help other artists realize their vision or realize 
uh, or or to simply entertain. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot of musicians, you know, they're cover bands, you know, like they yeah. can't write their own stuff, but they can play the hits very well and entertain a lot of people and give people a lot of joy. And that's cool, yeah. too. You know, yeah, exactly. now are they artists or are they entertainers? Is, are, is, is if you're if you're an entertainer, are you an artist? I mean, it it's interesting. I think there's um, kind of a, it's kind of a continuum. You know, it's kind of a spectrum of, of where you are in terms of being an artist and your relationship to originality, you know, what is that? And, you know, like, listen, I mean, I can't do any of it. So who am I to judge? <laughs> you know? I know. Um, you know, hell, I can't even sing in the shower. My shower gets pissed. Fucking water goes cold <laughs> and it kicks me out. So we were talking about music with Wilco. I mean, when you're in the shop and you're creating, I mean, are you listening to music? What is your, pro- what is your process like when you're in the zone? I do have music playing usually for sure. Um, Let me guess. You also smoke a big fat joint, and you. No. Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So. No, okay. Fine. I, fine. I, you, you. 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 You don't smoke the joint. You just do the heroin. I get right, it. That's it's, what I was going to say. I've got those old syringes that I had <laughs> left. You know. That's right. Fill them up and get things going right. It's a good joke for sure. What What and, music uh, are you listening to when you know, you're uh, in the shop creating? Uh, I just put five discs in there on carousel and it'll play random things off of them. So, I mean, openly, uh, one's a Wilco disc, one's U2. One is the, the soundtrack from, uh, Twilight because it has, love it. it yeah. Sure. It, it, uh, the fix, the old band, the fix is on oh, yeah. here. And sometimes I'll just hook the phone up to, uh, to the stereo so that it's playing but it's I, I if it's off i realize like i i know i don't like silence that's my oh, interesting yeah i mean my ears ring a lot remember i oh, said I, I, sure. I work in the mill i, yeah. I hunt and occupational shoot. hazard yeah uh, i've had a drummer sitting to my left all night banging on a snare drum yeah that's like a you know so my left ear rings a lot worse than the right but i mean if i'm in dead silence it is a loud ringing so I do have hearing aids that are awesome, but if so, if I go to sleep, I have a white noise machine sitting there. Sure. Just that peaceful. And yep. the hearing aids have a white noise on them too, so that I don't hear that when I'm in silence. So, yeah, I really don't like silence. So, so I have to have music going on here. It feels a lot more comfortable. Sure. If it's, if it's dead silence, you all of a sudden, I don't know what it is. You'll stop and just start looking around like, what the hell am I doing? You know, it's almost <laughs> like I get lost without it. You know, it's just it, it's calming in the background. And uh, so, absolutely. Yeah, do you listen to whatever? Do you, do you know, listen music. to podcasts at all? No, I, I haven't. I really haven't. Well, you got to start now because, you know, you're officially a guest on a podcast. So this is, you know, when when when, when this episode of Not Real Art comes out, you will officially be a podcast listener. It's awesome. I mean, I, I totally <laughs> I was nervous. I mean, I'll tell you, because I've never done this. You know, I had it on my phone. That makes two of us, my friend. Scott Power, 12 o'clock. You know, (laughs) (laughs) okay, it's going to happen. And I didn't know. Like I said, I don't know if we were just going to talk over the phone or I'm just Uh, thankful. And I totally appreciate you. You you are more than welcome. Yeah, you are more than welcome, and and no reason to even thank me because you're doing me the 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 honor um, by being on because the podcast, not real art, the vision for it and why we created it is to celebrate people just like you, you know, 
and people like me, you know, people who whose whole lives um, have been driven by a, kind of an obsession for art in our lives, for culture in our lives, for creativity in our lives. You know, we are sort of, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, but we have this, you know, ability to to see things that aren't there and manifest them. And if we don't, we drive ourselves crazy. And so, you know, Not Real Art, the podcast is, a, is about is a celebration of, of creative culture and the creative class. And we want to talk to artists of all levels. I mean, sure, we want to talk to artists who are full time artists that are showing in galleries and that's all that they do. But we also want to talk to everyone, you know, you know, everyone else who's finding joy in their lives, you know, in creating art in any number of ways, whether it's performance art on the stage as a musician or whether it's, you know, uh, fabricating lamps uh, in a in a home studio in the Midwest, you know, whatever the case is, you know, artists are everywhere. And, you know, quite frankly, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the on the podcast. And by the way, if you go and you listen to episode 50, I'm talking to another artist from Chesterton, a friend, uh, someone I've known for a very long time, a gentleman by the name of Dave, David Ryan Scott. And David is an incredible woodworker. He's an incredible, you know, he 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 makes, uh, any, but he's been in doing these um, leather goods, uh, cr- you know, fabricating all kinds of beautiful things out of leather. And he, he makes lamps too out of wood and, and you know, but he, it's all handmade stuff and there's no glue or no, I um, there's glue, but there's no screws or nails in his work. It's all fitted joints and, you know, and, it, and it's just beautiful stuff. And, you know, how many folks artists, designers, makers, creators, whatever you want to call them, who are, who are, who would do this stuff anyway, whether or not they were on a podcast, they would be doing it anyway, whether or not they got paid, yeah. you know, they can't help themselves. And, but quite frankly, I don't care if you're an artist in LA or an artist in Chesterton, Indiana, being an artist is a lonely existence. A lot of the times, you know, musicians are more, you know, music is a more social thing. You know, maybe musicians have, you know, vibrant social lives. Yeah, uh, for that. But majority of artists who work with their hands, you know, they're alone in their studio. It's a lonely existence. And we need more community in the arts. Part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast was to create an opportunity to bring artists together to help to empower and support that community begin start you know begin um having new conversations and also creating the opportunity for artists to learn from one another but also understand they're not alone that they're having a lot of the same struggles and by the way just because you live in indiana or illinois ohio or wherever you should be connected to and have a platform to tell your story globally as well and so you know we want to talk to artists all kinds of artists we want to talk to all levels of artists um, we, we have a we have a b- very big tent that we're trying to um, fill uh, under the Not Real Art banner because you know Not Real Art at its core is democratic. Not Real Art at its core is anti-establishment. You know, is independent. You know, we don't give a fuck about people spending one hundred and ninety-one million dollars for a Jeff Koons bunny. You know, that's, you know, uh, tw- 20 inches tall or something, you know, that's great. God bless them. You know, they can yeah. have that world. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in in independent artists who are um, out there on the front lines, you know, in the struggle of 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 what it means to, well, first of all, create something original, but also then try to monetize it. I mean, that's, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world to uh, own a successful small business. 
And that's what artists are, right? Yeah. It, when you say monetize, when I first started to sell those things, the, the one artist says, oh, you should charge $500 for this. And I'm like, there's no way. You know, and then everyone always says, well, if you could get it to Chicago, they pay a lot more for stuff there. And and someone, the person from Spill the Milk told me, the owner, she said, uh, what would you pay for it? And I'm like, yeah, probably $150, $200. Okay, then that's what it is. Right. So it's hard. It's very hard to put a price on things that that clock that I was telling you about, that tall one I spent hours on. It's a masterpiece. I mean, it. I love it. Yeah. And the hearing aid guys i've worked on their guitars and things they saw it and they've done things for me and i appreciate them so i just said five hundred dollars and when he got it he even said man you really undersold this which kind of kind of made me feel a little yeah that's good by the way keep your thoughts to yourself your thoughts are none of my business you know know. right yeah and and uh yeah i probably did you know but that's the thing I, i don't I had told you I don't have a website. I had some cards made for a first time ever. So it's such a small scale that I I wish that, you know, I do need to get a website. I do I do want people everywhere to see this, and it's not for money. I don't care about the money of it. I really don't. You're I, such I an artist. Love, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would love to have a piece in Europe. Okay, this guy in Europe's got one. That feels good, you know? You're, yeah. you're spreading out on the globe. So, well, you know, look, I mean, it's it's the whole pricing money thing. And this is a rabbit hole uh, topic that we could go deep on. But, yeah, you know, you're in a unique situation because you have a full time job that pays the bills. So money for you vis-a-vis your art, it takes on a different priority. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but if I yeah. had to make these, if it got to where um, I talked to a guy that owns the alley, Mark Thomas in Chicago. Yep. And he said, hey, make a bunch of these for me for $100. And I'm like, then I have to go have to do it. You know, if right. I had to do this for a living, Not it, fun would anymore. Totally, it would totally feel different. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's it. And, you know, the David Ryan Scott, um, the guest from uh, episode 50, you know, same same thing. I mean, you know, he has no interest in making these in mass or, you know, selling them. I mean, he makes them for for family and friends and special people in his lives. You know, he masters making a thing. He'll make a few of them and then he kind of moves on to the next thing. I mean, it's really just therapy for him. His money isn't a a priority in that context because he has a job, you know, but many artists don't. And, you know, we talk about this a lot and uh, with artists and, you know, what is something worth? What is, you know, what should they charge? And then, of course, you know, savvy, smart business people are not they do not hesitate to exploit artists and take advantage of their passion and try to get them to do it for little money or no money. Um, So artists are exploited all the time. It's an important topic, you know, and it's something that I think, you know, we need to demystify and we need to expose and to sunlight and just put it out there because. One of the things artists have to understand is that as soon as they agree to do their work for little to no money, they are devaluing the work of all artists and designers, right? From the get Yeah, yeah. Right? So we need to understand that for starters, right? That way we can, because we need to start establishing a, a a a bottom and a ceiling, a floor and a ceiling in terms of how pricing goes and, and what have you. 
I what I one of the things I appreciated about in the in the floor can't be free. The floor has to be a minimum wage, right? What is yeah, the minimum it, wage, it, right? Definitely. Your time and your materials. It, yeah, it time, materials, labor. You know, and you know one of the things that I you were talking about the the price of some of your stuff. And, you know, you, you price to sell, you know, and that's the other thing too. It's like, the other thing too, is like, you want to price to sell. It's more important to be moving inventory and bringing money in, uh, than it is to just have the stuff sit there because it's overpriced or whatever. Now, yeah. how do you price something? And, you know, you hit the nail on the head. What, what, are, what, a, what's the materials? Like, well, you know, what are your material costs for this thing? Yeah. And right? I don't think you really get your time. You know, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? That's that's one of the if you want for starters, yes, it is hard to track how many hours you have in an in an item. That being said, um, that's not good enough. If an artist wants to make money and have and, and pay their bills, I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking yes. about trying, I'm talking about making ends meet, paying your bills, having a life that, you know, you can afford to eat and afford to keep your lights on. Like yeah. if you want to, to pay your bills and not be stressed because, you know, uh, around money issues, then you need to track your hours. You need to track how many days you have in a project. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we have a podcast many, many episodes ago. We sort of talk about this because, you know, I, I think we tend to overthink it. I tend to think that it can be simpler. Um, so for example, the model I sort of talk about, it's like, if you're a full-time artist in whatever medium, and again, listen, I understand that there are exceptions to every model. And I understand that a cookie cutter solution doesn't necessarily always work for every situation, but you got to find a model that works for most situations. And a model that I think works is ask yourself how much money you want to make in a year, right? It's like, okay, I want to make a hundred grand. Okay, cool. Hundred grand's a lot of money. That's great. Now, how are you going to get there? Okay, well, how many hours in a week? How many hours in a year? How many hours in a month? How many hours in a week? Am I going to work a forty-hour week, fifty-hour week? Okay, let's say I'm working a forty-hour week. Well, what does that work out per hour? You know, figure out what your hourly wage is. If you want to make a hundred thousand dollars that year, and if it's, I'm just making up numbers right now, but let's say it's thirty dollars an hour. Okay, well, thirty dollars an hour. I have sixteen hours in this in this lamp. Well, 16 times 30. Okay. That's your base, right? That's your time. Then you figure in the materials. And then, you know, I always say add a third for pure profit because some people are always going to negotiate. They're going to want to pay cash and get 10% off. They're going to want to, you know, debate you and negotiate a lower price on something. So you need negotiate room to negotiate. So if yeah. something, you know, if, if, if your time is worth a hundred bucks, and your materials are a hundred bucks. Then I say add another hundred bucks for pure as pure margin. Yeah, and it's three hundred dollars. And you know, and I think most reasonable consumers, if the price seems reasonable and feels reasonable, they know it's reasonable, and it and you can have a more meaningful conversation around. And there's no shame in the game that way. Artists can know, yeah. like, look, I'm not trying to make get rich here. This is a fair yeah. price. Yeah. You know, I've got eight hours. I bill it, you know, $30 an hour. I've got $100 of material. And based on all my costs and calculations, I'm pricing this at $300. Yeah. You know? And so anyway, it's, um, it, it's really interesting. I get super frustrated with artists who simply just want to, you know, say they're an artist, put their head in the sand, and then complain that they're not making any money. 
It is. And by the way, it's the system is set up in many ways. It means how many art student school students graduate with with uh, not a fucking clue about how to make money in the art world. Yeah. You know, they don't yeah. want to make art. They just don't want to make money. You know? Yeah, I don't think I don't know if they teach that in art school. No, they don't. They absolutely yes. don't. And I think systemically, you know, certainly in the kind of the blue chip art world, you know, it's it sort of designed into the system like they don't necessarily want artists to be business savvy, you know, because when a Jeff Koons sells for one hundred ninety one million dollars, the artist. I mean, Jeff Koons is a gazillionaire, but I'm just saying like most artists that are at auction or making that kind of, you know, the, the when you talk about these big numbers, artists don't see any of that. They sold that original piece for five grand or 20 grand. And now it's going at auction or it's going somewhere for two million. And they don't see any of that. That's how the world works yeah. right now. And, and you're not going to change it. That's just its own world. But the way you can make it better is by creating other options and alternatives for artists to monetize their work and make money and give them other models and ideas uh, to work with to feel confident that their pricing is rational and that it's defensible. Yeah. Right. Because art, most artists don't want to feel like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to have to defend my price, you know? And, you know, and listen, I mean, some, some folks are just never going to get it and not do it. But I think the, the artists that, you know, embrace the reality of the world that we live in and paying bills and the need for money, they're going to have to figure it out and they will figure it out. Otherwise they're going to work at Starbucks or, you know, you know, on the yeah. side in bitch yeah. and moan that, you know? Yeah. You, you probably know many artists. There's a guy here in Chesterton, Chesterton named Wayne Thornton. He has a restaurant. I know Wayne. Wayne. I know and Wayne. You've seen Wayne's work with what he does with his fingers, his paints and everything. I see that. And I think, man, he should be a millionaire, you know, but he's not like that. He doesn't really want that, you know? And like, that, and that complain, I guess, if you got it, but you know, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, exactly. Right. Nobody's going to complain uh, if they hit the, hit the jackpot, but you know, get paid a lot of money to do what they love to do anyway. And we'd be doing anyway. Yeah. But it's, you know, it, it is, it, everybody's, you know, got different motivations and what have you. I just, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast is because one of the challenges artists have in making money is getting the word out you know, telling their story, getting their story out to the world. It's hard to promote. It's hard to, you know, this, the dirty little secret about, you know, the digital economy is sure you can have a website. Sure. You can, you know, sell your art to the world via your website, but that also means that you have to be a digital marketer to effectively sell your artworks around the world via your website using e-commerce and artists don't deal with that shit. No, I know, you know nothing about so the right. fantasy is one yeah. thing. The reality is another. And so my hope with the podcast is that eventually we can grow it and get to a point in terms of what we're doing with not real art more broadly, creating a platform that helps artists get their empower them and gets their story told more broadly so that if somebody hears your podcast, you know, here's this podcast and they, they think, wow, Michael's work sounds really cool. You know, they can go to the website and buy something, the website that you that you're working on that you don't yeah, yet have, but you're going to yes. do. And, uh, and then they'll hear the podcast here on the page. Then they'll go and they'll look at your website and buy something all because we helped broadcast your story to the world. And that's, you know, that's one of those elements in business 
that artists need, any business needs, you know, marketing, promotion, storytelling. And it's hard for artists to do that beyond their local market. You know, I mean, you sell really well in your backyard because, you know, Chicago's in your backyard. It's a great market. That's great. Maybe that's all you need. Yeah. Right. But with a podcast and a website, suddenly people all over the world could theoretically, you know, own a Michael Bohr creation. Yeah. And, and I, I absolutely love that. And huh? is it is it a plug to say I don't have a website? All I have is the Facebook page. Absolutely. Tell people where they can find you on Facebook. It's called More Gadgets, M-O-O-R-E Gadgets. And that's it. You go on Facebook, More Gadgets, and there's videos that show the ones moving, talking, and flashing. And there's a lot of pictures of things I've done. And usually when I make something, I put it on there, show the name of it. That's all I have for exposure really right now. So, Well, look, Facebook um, is... You know, I mean, Facebook is global. It's huge. I mean, if you're leveraging Facebook alone and you're doing it well, you could be very effective at it. But it is an art form unto itself. Digital marketing, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or via your website, that is a specialty and an expertise unto itself. Right. Yeah. And that's, again, the dirty little secret. It's like, you know, the uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the average tenure for a, a chief marketing officer at a publicly traded company today is about 19 months, right? So why is it 19 months? Well, it's 19 months because marketing is harder than ever. And if a CMO at a publicly traded company can't, you know, figure it out, what chance do we have? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, know? and it's, again, it's the sort of dirty little secret in the fantasy versus reality of like, yes, marketing is, more robust than ever. And it's easier for small businesses to market to the world and bring their products to the world and all that, you know, back in the day when there was just print radio and television, you know, it was much harder, much more expensive. And it's wonderful. Many of these, these things are wonderful, but they're not, nothing's a silver bullet, right? You still have to do the work. And in this case, the work is, is challenging because there are many platforms. They change the algorithms all the time. You know, how do you keep up? And it's no wonder artists just want to, you know, not bother. You know, hell, I barely want to bother. And, you know, and I like this shit, you know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know a couple people that did graphic art or design and they don't do it anymore. There's there's a house, two houses for me right now. Yeah. A person worked out of their house there and she's done with that because anybody can go online and you can create your own posters or. Yeah. You know, designs and uh, logos and it doesn't cost you anything so that you know that's a just too bad it's it's good for the people that want it but then the people that create it they just don't get to do it anymore well well, exactly and um it's a very interesting time on on many levels uh this 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 era that we that we live in so what uh, okay so for the for young artists out there or old artists out there who are just getting started, uh, you know, what advice, if any, uh, would you give uh, people out there who are, you know, they're, they're maybe they're frustrated in their job, maybe they maybe they uh, they secretly have a passion for some art form uh, that they're not indulging. Do you have any advice that you would give, like your son? Like if your son came to you and said, "Dad, I want to be an artist," yeah. what would you tell him? I read a long time ago someone i I stuck in my head for sure if you want to draw if you want to draw if you want to paint then paint get the get the the blank white sheet of paper out 
and start drawing on it and paint on it. The, the art that I draw that these blueprints go with, it's all done with just a pen. But, and I've never been an artist that way as far as drawing goes, but people see these drawings and they love them because they have their own thing to them. So that would be the, the best advice is to, if you want to do this, to do it. You know, if you, there's so many people that say, hey, I wish I could draw, you, you just start doing it, you know, and it's who's to say if it's bad or good. You don't know. So that's that's a big part of it. And it, it is it's kind of a natural thing, too. You know, it has to be something that you do enjoy doing. I mean, that that's pretty simple, I would say. So they always say, follow your passions, you know. But, well, and what I well, yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing, what I appreciate about what you're saying, it's like, you know what? You know, it's like, don't hesitate, you know, just 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 try just go just just experiment you know yeah i i had never drawn much at all and and i enjoy it now and i i like the way it looks you know it's its own little thing so i guess that's it you know i well, oddly at a loss for words on that. <laughs> well i put you on the spot <laughs> and uh that's 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 my uh that's you can blame me. Uh, that's what I do here. That's my job to put the, people. The, the sourdough. Sour sour, that's right. That's it. <laughs> God damn it. Well, Michael, I, I'll tell you what. I um, I'm so grateful that we were able to hop on the the line here via Skype and to chat a little bit about the work that you're doing. I want to talk to you about uh, offline about uh, commissioning your one of your lamps because. Uh, uh, I just love it and I want it in my office. I want it you know, near me so that it makes me happy and I can look at it and smile. I also want to talk to you um, offline about looks like we may be uh, leasing a space to think of it as the Not Real Art Studio where we're going to be recording the podcast and doing live streaming and video work and what have you. We're going to really double down on uh, kind of our YouTube channel what have you. And, uh, but we're going to sell, we're going to have art, uh, in the space and art all will be for sale by appointment only. We're not going to have retail hours, but uh, we're going to feature artists on the show. We're going to feature their art on the show. And, uh, and people will be coming in all the time. Uh, obviously, uh, they'll be able to see through the window. They'll, you know, see cool art. Um, they'll see on the window that it's, you know, by appointment only. So I want to talk to you about having a couple of lamps uh, in the in the space here in Los Angeles. Would you be interested in that? Yes, absolutely. How could I say no? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Well, I get told no all the time. So uh, <laughs> that's usually my wife uh, fighting me <laughs> off at midnight, you know, um, but uh, that's a whole nother podcast. Well, that's cool. I'm super glad that you are down with that because I think it'd be really interesting, like market research for you as well, right? I mean, getting a couple of lamps here in LA, seeing how they resonate, you know, with uh, the you know creative folks here. And, uh, and then also, you know, thinking about pricing. I mean, because in this case, right, we'll have, we'll have the, the price and then we'll have some shipping and we'll have, you know, these other kinds of elements, you know, to it. And, um, and so it'll, I think we'll get good Intel for you, right? Like what, what sells, what doesn't sell, what people are into, what people aren't into and what price points work. Um, I think that'll be, you know, super helpful to you and you'll be in a new market here in Los Angeles. So I look forward to that. I, I can't thank you enough. Really. Like I said, I was nervous about this cause I've never done it, but I really appreciate you, you know, 
reaching out to me and what you're doing for all the people that that you're doing it for. I mean, it's good. It's a great thing. Thank you, brother. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, listen, my favorite people in the world have always been my whole life have been artists, you know, whether they were musicians or, or, or visual artists or performing artists or dancers or what have you. I think, you know, artists, uh, and I include myself in this, you know, you know, we're, we're special breed and, uh, you know, why should athletes and celebrities and politicians and billionaires get all the get all the acclaim when, um, you know, it's, it's, it's we artists and designers and creatives and makers who are, um, you know, in many ways driving culture forward. And, um, you know, when we need, we need to come together, we need to celebrate that we need to lift each other up and we need to do it no matter where we're at. And, you know, being, you know, being a proud Midwesterner, I mean, I live in this crazy Holly land of Holly weird, and, but I am a proud Midwesterner. And, you know, the fact that I could maybe do anything here that would then benefit folks that I know back home. God damn it. I'm going to build a bridge uh, as fast as I can because I want to I want to help my peeps, too. You know, I want to I want to you know lift up the folks that I uh, grew up with as well. And if we can help each other, we should help each other. And um, and, you know, it, no matter where artists were. Hell, I was in Haiti. You know, I've been in Haiti a couple of times doing, you know, some charitable work there over the last few years. And um, there are artists in Haiti that I would love to help. I mean, no, no matter where, you know, where you are, if your heart is pure and you're doing work that is meaningful, it, it deserves to be celebrated. And that's, that's what we want to do with Not Real Art. So anyway, well, thank you for coming on, Michael. This is, uh, this is a treat. And we'll do it again. Absolutely. I'm ready anytime. That's how it's great. I do. I thank you again. You know, you're you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart. That's what it is. So I I appreciate that. I appreciate it because we ain't making no money. I can tell you that. Nope. (laughs) People might have noticed this podcast is advertising free, commercial free, which, you know, we want to keep it that way. But anyway, Michael, you have a, a fantastic day, my friend. Get to work on my lamp. We will, you know, I, I, I want to have this thing. And by the way, when, when, when I finally do get it, we'll definitely come back and, and have a, have a show uh, where we talk about the lamp specifically. But in the meantime, people can find you on Facebook. You said under more gadgets is your Facebook page. Yeah. And I want to tell all the listeners to be sure to check out Michael's work. If you like work that has soul, that has an eclectic, delightful nature, uh, to it, a whimsy, but also, you know, harkens back to a more kind of industrial age of, of metal and, and glass and wood uh, and maybe a little blood, sweat and tears. Uh, you're going to you're going to love Michael's stuff. So definitely check it out. All right, my friend. Thanks for thanks for playing. All right. Thank you, man. Cheers. Be well. All right. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at Not Real Artificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out.